0: This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexo series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting. However, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was going to be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was going to take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush, which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects. A paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or, like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me, your time will thank you. It's time to be about that life. The Startup Life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson. All right, Startup Nation. So I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, we have entrepreneurs from all walk of life that come on, on this show, and they have a myriad of services from cupcakes to to you know hamburgers to just all types of things but what if i told you uh you can build a multi-million dollar business with flowers well we have a absolutely great guest to kind of talk about uh his company and more here on the show we have the co-founder ceo of bloom nation Farbo sharaka Farbo, what's up my man
1: How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh,
0: man. Appreciate you so much for coming on the show. Definitely looking forward to you uh, dropping some knowledge on Startup Nation, man. But before we kind of get into the knowledge piece, if you would, good sir, just kind of share your background, your origin story a little bit, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles, California. Mm -hmm and uh, went to school uh, in California as well at uh, UC Berkeley, Right, uh, studied economics, uh, got my degree there undergrad. And uh, at the time, the fastest way to kind of launch your career was going into finance. So investment banking was a, uh, a very hot industry for, you know, my uh, my uh, fellow uh, Berkeley grads, and so we all started applying to get into different investment banks and mm-hmm. so I started working for an investment bank um, here in los angeles most most uh, investment banks were in New York or San francisco, but uh, I, I was uh, wanted to go back to home base, so I ended up back in l a doing gotcha. investment banking uh working on mergers and acquisitions for technology companies so that was kind of my start of my career and I've really only had um prior to starting Bloom Nation, I really only had two jobs. One was uh, a teller at Wells Fargo for several years before college and gotcha. then uh, starting uh, starting at this investment bank in L.A. And then I started the company Bloom Nation uh, in
0: 2012. Gotcha. Yeah, I definitely know a little something about working at uh, Wells Fargo there. I used to work there. Uh, for a time myself so definitely know about that banking background for sure uh l- let me ask you this man tell me about your college days a little bit what kind of student was far above?
1: i was a procrastinator i was okay. very <laughs> much uh, <laughs> i uh i live by the mantra of uh pressure creates diamonds so i Got like you. to uh live uh by the 11th hour of doing everything I needed to do to just, you know, um, make it happen. So I I live off pressure and kind of, you know, that, that helps me feel alive and, uh, work my best. So typically, uh, I was the one that was, you know, cramming last minute before an exam or working on a, a paper, uh, the night before. Uh, and so that was kind of my personality. Everyone knew me by that kind of nature. um, and just, you know, uh, you know, an average college student, you know, had fun with, you know, different, uh, you know, different, communities and, and, you know, um, you know, being part of different groups and stuff was very important to me. So a real, real balanced, um, college, uh, you know, experience that I had, um, and Berkeley, Berkeley's pretty much, you know, known for, you know, very, uh, socially active, like, you know, uh, politics and, uh, and environment and, and being involved in like what's going on in the world. So I got a lot of, of my, you know, world knowledge, uh, got out of my bubble of living in Los Angeles it was really through my experiences at Berkeley. So it was great. And, uh, you know, part of my decision to even leave investment banking and start a company like blue Nation was, you know, sourced from this, uh, the building blocks of what I learned at Berkeley was like, you got to do some social good and make an impact to the world. And, you know, investment banking just didn't feel like I was producing, um, you know, creating anything. I was kind of just making, you know, wealthy corporations more wealthy. And, uh, so it kind of pulled up, it pulled at my heartstrings when I thought, uh, I could start a company that could do more good for, you know, local businesses and, and helping these, you know, independent owner operated mom and pops, you know, that, that definitely was a, uh, inspiration for me to, you know, leave and, and start that.
0: For sure. For sure. And, and like you said, that kind of leads us to, uh, the bloom nation story. Uh, but I, I want to ask you this, man, because I was reading somewhere that, uh, the, the origins of bloom nation maybe have started from some poker funding. Yeah. Kind of talk about <laughs> yeah. that a little bit, man.
1: It's like a, it's like a movie. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I can, and then looking back on it, it just feel like, a very much like a movie, but, uh, yeah. So, uh, you know i when i decided to start the company i didn't really look at like who is the most you know uh sophisticated in you know flowers or who is the, who can write code it was more about like who i can trust fair and enough so i ended up uh, bringing on two of my best friends because they are they're both you know we three of us were pretty smart uh guys and we we knew that we could you know maneuver around any challenge so for us that was uh that was the biggest criteria for me is like trust and, uh, just kind of grit. And, uh, so when we decided to, you know, start this venture, we used all the resources that we had, uh, at our disposal. And one of my co-founders and best friends, uh, was a world series of poker champion at the time. And so we, um, we realized that we can leverage that as a skill set to raise some money for the company. So we ended up, uh, using our, you know, initial investment internally, the three of us put put a few thousand dollars together to play in a poker tournament. And, uh, my co-founder went and played in that tournament. We ended up getting first place and first prize and got enough money. I think it was like $30,000 and we used that to start the company. So it was kind of, uh, you know, it was written, we we thought if we win this game, it would be kind of written in the stars that we need to start the company.
0: Gotcha. No, I I love that story. And and honestly, if I'm not mistaken, I think I think Fred Smith of FedEx. So we're based here in Memphis, Tennessee. So we hear these stories from time to time. I think Fred Smith. I don't think he started FedEx like that, but I think FedEx was on some troubled times or whatever, and he he actually went to Vegas to kind of like pay everybody uh, to kind of get them out of that hole. So no, I I love that story. So I appreciate uh, you sharing that for sure. But kind of tell us the you know about Bloom Nation, what it does, uh, and, and 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 who it serves.
1: Yeah. So uh, we started the company based on like a simple notion that, you know, these small businesses, these flower shops don't really know how to sell stuff online. They, gotcha. They're they really good at creating beautiful arrangements. They're they're art- they're artists and they are very creative but when it comes to technology that was kind of the missing puzzle for them and so oftentimes they would have to rely on bigger corporations to take care of their you know uh ordering online process or that that the notion that they can have exposure to uh, the online world came from large brokers so many of them you probably heard like 100 flowers and course. ftd and teleflora those right. those companies were um uh, you know Investing heavily in marketing, investing heavily in technology, and creating a uh, situation where the small business had to rely more and more on those large brokers mm-hmm. to generate uh, orders. And so, what we, you know, when we decided to start Bloom Nation, it came around the idea that, like, hey, let's level the playing field around the big brokers versus the small business. Why don't we hand that same technology that those big brokers have, the same? marketing capabilities the same technologies and website functionality all that stuff But let's hand it to them on a local level let's put the power into the hands of the small business and so we created uh, our initial concept which was bloom nation.com it was our marketplace and that was supposed to mimic something like an etsy or an ebay where? where you had each designer listing their own products for sale so you were no longer looking at a you know, a stock photo that 1-800-Flowers took and photoshopped perfectly and put a a price on it. You were looking at that specific florist's own design, it's their own photo. They're pricing it to match their, you know, their local cost structure. So you're getting a sense of like, what San Francisco flower shops are charging for their designs versus LA versus New York, or even some rural towns, everyone has different price points and and pricing structures. So we were tapping into all this like hyper local information through our marketplace, Mm -hmm. which allowed the consumer ultimately to get a better, better choices and better delivery of of flowers because they're working directly with each florist through our marketplace and not just ordering uh, something through a broker and then having that passed on, um uh through the the traditional broker model so it right. kind of it was applying a lot of the things that already existed in other industries but it just wasn't happening in the floral industry so we applied the notion of like real-time information and invent like local inventory and all those things into uh bloom and then you know about a couple of years into that we decided hey, a lot of these florists need even more help, even on their independent right. business. So we started giving them software. We, we took what we built for BloomNation.com and then packaged it in a way where they could you know, power their own website through the technology that we have and and have a point of sale system for people who walk in their short store and charge credit cards and handle their email marketing and, and their inventory and their delivery logistics. So over time, over the last... You know, it's been about eight or nine years. We've developed in the full ecosystem for the the, for these florists where they live and breathe inside um, the platform that we created. That ultimately, if I were to summarize it in a short sentence, it it essentially allows them to not only survive in this world of e-commerce and and large players, but it thrive in it. So for us, it's all about helping them. Um, thrive in this world of e-commerce.
0: I hear that, you know, and and I love the fact that you said, you know, kind of develop this, this ecosystem, if you will. And I want to hear a little bit more about that. So I want to ask a follow up kind of to walk me through some of those conversations with some of those kind of mom and pop floors? Because, I mean, you know, like you were saying earlier, they're used to dealing with uh, FTD, you know, 1-800-Flowers and all these other people and stuff like that. Kind of talk to me about those conversations and how you were able to convince them uh, to go with Bloom, Bloom Nation's tech, Bloom Nation's kind of doctrine, if you will, to kind of spruce up and and build up their e-commerce side. Because I I imagine that couldn't have been easy in the beginning.
1: It was uh, one of the hardest things. You have to have really thick skin when you're starting a business because you hear you the word you're gonna hear the most is no, right in the beginning. So uh, we got you know we we walked all around uh l a flower shops, the three of us one summer, and we got kicked out a lot of them. We got hung up when we called. like definitely, there was people that you know, already felt like they were burned by other companies. Right. So we were having a build that trust of what we're trying to do. But uh, with that said, I think the, the thing that really caught everyone's attention, even before we had a full product and offering, but really early days, um, was the aspiration of what we wanted to be. And so when we spoke to the, the florist about living in a world that allowed them to be creative, so it was less, less even, we didn't even really push on like, you can make more money or you can drive more revenue, but it was really about like, ultimately you are a creative artist. And we want to showcase your creativity and a platform that allows consumers to see it versus being stuck in a world of like, you're fulfilling some broker's orders that are coming through and it's not even your product or design. That was the biggest, I would say, X factor trigger that caused florists to, you know, listen to us and ultimately give us a shot without even having any sort of, Proof points to say you're going to make more money, or this is going to be, you know, easier on your operations. None of that was proved out, but the aspiration of what life could be if this was to work is the biggest component of our, you know, early adoption of the platform.
0: I hear that. I hear that. And, you know, and I and I guess that leads me to my next question because I know one of the things that is kind of a Bloom Nation staple. Is that, you know, when you have pictures on the site, there's actual floral arrangements as opposed to the stock photos. Kind of talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind, because I thought that was yeah. a, like a pretty u- cool, you know, uh, differentiator. Because, like I said, when I go to other kind of, you know, flower arrangement places, like it's all stock photos for the most part. So I, I kind of talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think that was the the biggest thing for us and biggest differentiator for us was that we made the effort to go and say, Let's not take the easy route right. that, you know, all the other players went and they said it's so much easier because it is It's so much easier to say, I'm going to take my own photos of 100 products and then make them look absolutely perfect. Photoshop them, push all the flowers to the front, make it just look stunning and then um, try to sell those images to consumers. Once they make that purchase, then I'm going to go ask a florist locally to try to replicate that product and that seemed for a long time like the easiest path to success but now that the you know the consumer is much more savvy right you know obviously like you know uh social media and and texting photos and that like communication has become so more so much more widespread that you can't just get away with, you know, putting up a fake photo. And if it doesn't look anything like that, you're going to, you know, people will realize it real fast nowadays because of social and and texting and all that. So what we decided to do is said, you know, let's make the effort. It was almost illogical amount of effort to get the florists to take their own photos. So we taught them, we went in in the early days, uh, me and my co-founders even went and took the photos for them. We were walking around with our cameras and, and going to shops in Los Angeles Uh, taking photos uh, for them to show them, you know, if you put your own images up, how much more powerful it is. And um, as, as people, as consumers would see a real photo versus a stock photo, we saw that the conversion rate, the actual, the amount of people that would purchase a product that looked real was uh, magnitudes higher. And so there was a, not only like a, a designer reason or a, or a creativity reason to showcase your own designs, but then that whole aspect of like higher conversion and more revenue started kicking in. Right. And that's when we knew we had to double down on this. And so we, we made it a huge initiative of ours to make it super simple to, cr- you know, have florists, uh, you know, not only take their own photos, but then upload those photos to our platform, which no other floral company was doing ever. They, they actually thought it was, imp- you know, a lot of the executives would tell us like, no one's going to do that. No florist is going to upload their own, you know, products is too much work, but we made it really easy. We said, well, if they can use Facebook, they're uploading pictures on their Facebook account. They can sure (laughs) they can sure upload photos of their products uh, onto their blue nation. So we mimicked a lot of the ease of use of like a Facebook platform. And we said, okay, how do people engage with Facebook and uploading photos? Let's make it similar. Let's make it fun. So we started doing that. And, and, uh, you know, obviously years and years later, now we have, more inventory and knowledge about what's happening on a local level in terms of which florist has what products than any other platform out there and that's you know we'll start it off with a simple notion of like let's be illogically you know um uh, specific around this effort like this is a goal of ours and let's Work our hardest to make this work because we felt like it's going to really differentiate us and it did ultimately.
0: Right, for sure. No, I, I appreciate that. I want to ask something else, but I want to do a quick reset. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to uh, Farbo uh the uh, co founder and CEO of Bloom Nation. And if you want to check out that website, we have that website there in the show notes bloomnation.com. That link is there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. You know, for, for both you were saying something earlier. I, I thought was very interesting i kind of want to dive into it a little bit because you talked about how uh the customer the market is very savvy very you know knowledgeable and that you know you can't just get away with stock photos uh you know like you could maybe in the past uh, you know or whatever the case may be but kind of talk about you know understanding market trends understanding the direction the market is going to go and and kind of following that lead a little bit if you don't mind
1: yeah, I mean, uh the the good thing about uh uh you know starting a business and and kind of an e-commerce is that the customer is very clear on what they expect and what they, you know, what uh, what they to some degree demand. Right. And um you know, you can see uh that you know, sp- you know specifically in our case that you know uh The notion that uh, people were no longer okay with uh, generic photo came from many other data points. So same way, you know, now people won't necessarily go to a restaurant without quickly looking at a Yelp reviews on the restaurant itself. Or they might not buy a product until they go and check the reviews on Amazon or another platform to see how um, that product, uh, you know, is reviewed by other consumers. And so what we what we did is kind of you you know you scan the room, you kind of see what what are people expecting as a consumer, and not just specifically in your industry, but in general, like the consumer behavior, how has that uh, changed over the last few years, and where do we think that's going to be heading right And when we started the company early on, we knew that you know based on um, what Etsy was doing and eBay and Amazon. Um uh, and Yelp and all these platforms that, you know, there was going to be a movement in knowing more about where you're making your purchase. That was a theme that was very clear. And the idea on top of that, the idea of shopping local was a major theme that was happening over the last, you know, 10 years that uh, we started the company. And so you take all these data points and you kind of have to make sure that you're playing into those themes and I don't mean playing as like a manipulative way, or a, you know, eat, but you got to make sure that your, uh, you you are going towards that trend and not against the grain. And often to companies it will ignore these trends as fads, or they'll, or they'll just not pay attention to them at all and not notice them. And it's really important that we, you know, always, even to this day, see what trends are, you know, changing. What are expectations that are changing for consumers now with you know covid there's a huge shift in, in expectations of so' course. just making sure you're on top of those things uh, you know all the time is is a critical part of uh, not only surviving in the early days but you know maintaining uh sustainability of your business as as it grows
0: gotcha let me ask one quick follow-up before we transition because you talked about looking at those data points and, and kind of you know uh, following the trend or following the data points or whatever the case may be is it usually like One to two data points or just like multiple data points that kind of tend that go in a in a certain direction is I guess what I'm saying is, is is it really like just one to two things like, ah, that's it? Or is it kind of like a multitude of things uh, at the right place at the right time? I guess I'm just curious about that point, because a lot of times business owners you know, let's be honest, a lot of times business owners, like you said, like, you know, oh, that's a fad or something like that. And sometimes that one big data point was the point you should have listened to. You know what I mean? It's, it's, I guess what I'm asking is, yeah. you know, what do you know what to listen to, what not to listen to as far as like the data points is, guess what I'm saying? I mean, you should list all to it, but like which one you should follow, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: it's that, that is a tough question. It's really, um, you know, what it comes down to is ultimately end up being only a couple themes that prove to be really uh, meaningful gotcha. in any sort of like uh, change. But like you said, it's not that you can say, Oh, these are the two that are going to work out. And I should, you know, and then you can handpick those two in the, you know, in a bag of like 10 or 15 different <laughs> right. uh, data points. So it's really about, you know, keeping, uh, consistency in uh, In observing what's happening with those, you know, maybe 10 trends or 10 data points. Fair enough. And seeing which ones are panning out. And ultimately, yeah, like now that I'm speaking 10 years later, I'm able to pull out two themes, right? Mm -hmm. And say, these are the two reasons why things worked out for Bloom Nation, or this is what made us, um, you know, uh, remain relevant in the market. But at the time, those weren't very. It wasn't obvious to us. It it wasn't like though we were saying, "Oh, these are the two things that are going to work out." So it's a little bit of a uh, um, you know uh, an art, not a science. As much as it's data driven, it is this art of like just kind of you have to make some gut um, choices on where you're going to head and and uh, take um, the a lot of data that's coming at you and try to you know bring it down to a couple themes that you think are panning out over time.
0: All right, Startup Nation, so we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson, and you're listening to The Startup Life. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. And it's all unlimited calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself all online avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system, which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more efficiently with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash Startup Life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A.com forward slash Startup Life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Business communication simplified. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back. As we continue our conversation with today's guest here on the Startup Life. Gotcha, gotcha. No, I I appreciate that. And and, you know, kind of keeping with the same theme, just a little bit. Because I know flowers. You know, you 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 have some that are seasonal. You have some that are kind of like you know year round and stuff like that. How does the the I guess the business doctrine or business model change as you know, as flowers, because, you know, some are in season, some are out of season. Does the business model change or fluctuate uh, throughout the year based on that? And also, how have you guys been navigating, you know, as we kind of deal with COVID and, and that, you know, whole mess that is 2020 and COVID? <laughs> kind of talk about that a little bit if you don't mind yeah. for a
1: Yes. Um, so, you know, over time you pick up, you know, again, when we started the company, we knew very little about. Uh, flowers themselves. I right. mean, I, I have I have an aunt that was a florist, and she kind of inspired me to to start the business. Um, mm. But I came again from a finance background, and so you know, it took time to really understand the nuances of the industry. You really have to get your hands dirty, and then understand the way it's evolving, both on a you know seasonal level or a yearly level, but also like things that will change and never go back. Uh, so there is this notion that. You know, like, for example, in flowers, like very clearly, like February is, has a Valentine's Day and May has Mother's Day. And so you're going to see like, you know, an increase in in sales in those months. And then summertime was relatively slow in terms of consumer transactions because people are vacationing and they were, you know, uh, not at home as often. And mm-hmm. um, so you saw these kind of like like behave, human behaviors that translated into how that applies and affects your business. right? And right. so you kind of adapt to those, you pick those things up, you adapt. And then, they, you know, there are subtle changes that will happen that you kind of, you know, adjust for. And then, and then things like COVID, you know, which is hopefully once in a lifetime for all of us, but uh, something like COVID hits, and then it just throws everything out of whack where mm. all your assumptions should be thrown out the window. And so what was what we saw was you know, obviously, like Mother's Day during COVID happened, and that was huge surge because right. n- no one could go to brunch with their, you know, motherly figures. Um, of course. They, they had to – so they resorted to gifting, right, and, mm-hmm. and sending flowers. But what we noticed is normally during the summertime when things are really slow because people are vacationing, well, they weren't vacationing, and they're at home. And so more of the celebrations and birthdays and things that would might have happened, you know, in person – uh you know are now unable to to play out and so they were still resorting to gifting so we saw a huge shift in consumer behavior based on the you know the conditions that were happening due to covid and the pandemic and the shutdown and all that so um you know for us what's important is to you know, when something like that happens, not not take any assumptions for granted and just because it was the way it was to always assume that's how it will be. And so I think a lot of companies do need to, especially now from from what's happening with the pandemic, is reevaluate their entire, you know, assumptions around the consumer, around the consumer's behavior, um, around their business. You know, uh, what's how it's going to affect their business. Some are very obvious. But some are not so obvious and your marketing needs to change. The The places that you're needing to market it needs to change. Um, so the the adaptation needs to be accepted as soon as possible. I think the longer people wait to to say, OK, you know, let's let's figure out how we're going to make this work, the right. slower you're going to be to recover from anything.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that, because, I mean, you know, the whole cliche paralysis by analysis, man, sometimes you just got to pull the trigger. You know what I mean? You know, right. like, like I'm not saying like you know just fly off the handle all the time, but I guess what I'm saying is there comes a point, like you just said, there comes a point where you just you just gotta go. So I, I appreciate you, uh, sharing that. So you know we we've talked about you know, uh, the, talking you know and, and advocating uh, and selling to the market. We talked about the internal part of selling, also to the uh, the small businesses of the florists and stuff like that, but kind of walk me through, you know, cause you've got, you know, backed by funding by some big names, you know, here over the years. And, you know, talk about the conversation of, of getting that funding, you know, when you talk about, you know, was it a situation where it's like flowers? Are you serious? Like that's what you want us to fund mm-hmm. or, or was it okay. kind of a, a situation where it's a little bit more, uh, you know, Oh, okay. I kind of get it. Or just kind of walk me through, you know, uh, those conversations, if you don't mind for both.
1: Yeah, so it was definitely, I would say, a surprise to some venture capital firms that sure. three, three guys that didn't know much about flowers, you know, you know, six months ago or a year ago, were trying to disrupt, you know, billion-dollar businesses like One Eight Hundred Flowers and FTD. And um, you know, again, we not only do we not know anything about flowers, but none of us were programmers or had any engineering background, so we couldn't even. You know, be uh, coding or building any software. So it was really about, you know, how do you pitch this idea of what you're trying to solve to someone that needs to believe in you, right. more, just as much as the idea. And so, um, you know, some some were definitely taken back by the idea that we wanted to solve the floor industry. But at the same time, I would say venture capitalists like the um, they like the the outside story something that's Mm. not obvious Uh, they're dreamers more than anything else they like to dream big about like solving a problem that no one's really been paying attention to Mm -hmm. uh more than anything else especially early stage investors as you get as you get into later stage investing i would say the venture capitalists are more about like you know, where is a lot of money going into, like, if of you're course. trying to solve things like transportation or, you know, companies like in the early days of like Uber, when, you know, and even the scooter, the scooter industry, like things that are getting massive amount of attention and, and financing's being, you know, money's being flown, uh, put into those type of businesses. The later stage companies get really excited about that kind of stuff. Right. But for us, it's been in the early stages, it was about solving a problem that was really, unique and you didn't hear too often. And that's what early stage investors, I think, are interested in. And um, for us, you know, it was, again, like showing them that three three guys that didn't know much about uh, floral industry were actually creating more traction than anyone else would have expected. We had tons of florists signing up. We had revenue coming through the business and uh, we were solving a real problem in the industry. And so, so for them, they were investing in us just as much as they were investing in idea.
0: Gotcha. No, I- I'm glad you said that. And you said something that was interesting. Uh, you know, we we've had multiple guests that come on the show, and-, and they talk about like in the early stages of a company, you do need people who are kind of. Uh, generalists, big idea, very big time visionary uh, type of people, but over time you need those kind of like specialists, people who can take the company, you know, to the next level. And so when you talked about like the early stage of investing versus like the you know the later stages, you know, it, it seemed like there's a lot of similarity there as well, where they're looking for the big idea and the story and stuff like that in the beginning, but over time they want to. You see, you know, what the where the money is going, where those investments are going to kind of scale the company. So I appreciate you sharing that for both. I just wanted to kind of point that out to Startup Nation a little bit. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Once again, Startup Nation, we're talking to uh, Farbo Sharaka, the co founder and CEO of Bloom Nation. And once again, if you want to check out that website, we have that link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. You know, Farbo, as you guys have scaled and grown the company, you know, talk about the company culture a little bit. How have you guys kind of, you know, uh, evolved? Not just as a company, but as entrepreneurs over time, from the you know the eight, seven, eight years ago up until now. Like talk, talk, walk me through that evolution process a little bit, if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, I feel like I've been uh, ten people since starting the company. (laughs) Fair enough. uh, Yeah, every every it's been you know starting a company is uh, not only you know a lot of you know just hours and physical investment in your time. Uh, but there's a mental, you know, effort that goes into it. And so when you, when you're starting a business, uh, versus like having that build, business turn into something bigger and you're running an actual like corporation, you're, you're not even on the same planet as the, the your, your, as yourself, uh, you know, 10 years ago, the person I was versus today is I wouldn't even recognize. So it takes uh, many different layers to grow within the business. And so when you're starting out, um, a lot of the things that you're doing are directly correlated to the company's survival. Mm. Uh, you know, it's sort of like you know taking care of a infant in many ways, where it's like Absolutely. there are so many things that you could do wrong to you know if you have a newborn. Um, but as the as the child gets older, it's less well, about you know little things affecting the child, but it's about this bigger, longer term you know coaching into that child turning into a good person or a good adult and it's same thing with the company it's very similar where um when you're starting out you might make a decision that could you know make the company uh get funding or get the right product market fit or generate that revenue that it needs to generate or you might do some a couple wrong things and it could all fall apart and you don't have uh you're not going to, you know, survive. And so um, the early days are very much about like you're an individual contributor. You are, you know, uh, putting 100% of your time and effort into just keeping the company going. And as the organization grows and say you get funding and you hire more people, um, you can no longer, especially as you get into the you know, the range of maybe like 25, 50 employees, something around that area, right. you really have to change your mentality where you can no longer be that individual contributor, right. but your job becomes about supporting the team that's building the business. So you, in the beginning, you're building the machine and then you need to build a machine that builds machines. And so right. where you think about this is like, You have to now have a team that you can empower, that you can trust, that you can, you know, create that culture where they're making decisions on the same way that you would make the decision. And that's that's really hard. That is actually much harder than starting the business. If you ask me what's the hardest thing that I've done in the last 10 years, and I would say it's no doubt, no question in my mind. Having. Uh, building out a team that has the capabilities of deciding things the same way you would decide if you can do that um, you're you're going to have a very successful company i mean to me that comes down to like one point where i would look into each uh, business and say if the ceo can drive the same sort of culture and decision making as as uh, as they would do themselves then you're you're most likely going to have a really solid team that's going to get you where you need to go but that takes the ceo and the founder has to change their personality you actually have to you know uh literally change who you are as a person because uh and that's tough yeah i I was just about to say that's
0: a big ask
1: it's a huge ask and I struggle with it myself every you know year after year. You're like, I still want to be an individual contributor because you feel like that's where you get your value, you right. know? especially for me. I was like, no, if I come up with this idea or if I do the work to get this done, I'll feel good because I'm contributing to the business. But that's actually hurting the greater goal because mm-hmm. ultimately you want your team to be doing those things and you want to make you want to be able to step back and think about the larger picture. Where are we headed? You know, you become... Now more of a, a navigator of the vision right. and, and finding that North star for the company that everyone you know follows, but uh, you can no longer think of it as like, I'm now going to solve these individual problems. And so it is a, it's a big thing And culture is the most critical part uh, is, and culture is not a ping pong table and, you know, core right. values <laughs> on your right. wall and, uh, you know, snacks in the office. That's not culture. Um, culture is, um, how people behave when you're not in the room, what decisions are being made when you're not giving the, you know, the answers, that's your culture. And so you really got to make sure, um, there's no such thing as a, a a good or bad culture. There's just a strong or weak culture. Fair enough. And, um, you know, as you build up your team, there are going to be employees that come and work for you that will try to disrupt your culture and change it. And if you don't have a strong culture, then they will be able to shift the way the culture is. um, And and you'll ultimately have a different type of company just on a few hires coming in the door that are, you know, uh, clashing against it. And so you got to make sure that you're maintaining what you want the team to believe in, what they what they're deciding uh, on and all that is so critical to constantly maintain. Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that's how I, that's what I think about it. It's a, it's a huge challenge for sure. And I think one of the most difficult parts of starting a business.
0: No, I, and, I, and I definitely understand that, you know, a, a lot of times we see, you know, uh, CEOs, the startup founder where, you know, they they do have to become something different. And sometimes ultimately that becoming something different is leaving the company to get out of its way, which, I, I, you know, which yes. is also extremely hard. You know, you like you said, you talked about. Uh, the business, you know, kind of like, uh, re- referring to it kind of like a baby, like a newborn baby and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then, you know, you got you're asked to, or you come to the point where it's time to leave that baby, or you know, you know, let that yeah. baby grow up on its own, and you have to stay out of his way. So no, nah, and I think that's the part of entrepreneurship that, at least in my opinion, doesn't get talked about uh, uh, enough. Like, because that's an emotional, uh, thing. We had a, a, a guest. You know, on a few months ago, Jay Myers, where, you know, it got to the point where it was time to sell. And, you know, I actually called him on the last day uh, at the job and he was like very emotional. Like you could hear him over the phones, like, you know, I've been with these people for over 20 years. We've built this thing from the ground up. We've been through the financial crisis, we've been through uh, two, uh, uh, you know, fraud attempts you know, uh, you know, from people from the inside and and we're still here and now I just got to leave it. That's a lot to ask. So now I definitely understand what you mean, man. I appreciate you sharing that and being transparent too.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And there's something to say about uh, a founder CEO versus a a CEO that comes in afterwards. There's a, there's a bond to the company that uh, a founder has that uh, cannot be replicated. So oftentimes, a lot of uh, venture capitalists want to see the founder CEO still there. Mm. Uh, But yeah, there are absolutely times when it's time to step away. And you do see, um, you know, the the founder CEO will hire uh, a more seasoned CEO and they'll either leave the company or they'll take a position in, you know, product where it's more about the the vision and, and what they're building right. uh, and less of the, uh, you know, the the work of uh, being a CEO is not exactly fun. There's a lot of uh, stuff you got to deal with that, you, you know, it's not around what you're building. And so there's there's different ways for for founders to kind of carve their path in the future. But if you do want to, you know, sustain this idea of being the, the CEO, the found, one of the co-founders, uh, across the lifespan of the company, then you're definitely going to have to evolve with it. Uh, and a lot of employees don't, and so they'll come for a certain part of the 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 life of a company. There's certain employees that work beautifully well, and and then they'll the company will outgrow them, or they'll outgrow the company, and right. it's time for them to move on. But as a as a founder, you got to adapt if you want to stay stick around and and keep the company in a good position. So.
0: Them's is big facts. Them's is big facts. Thank you so much yeah. uh for sharing that. So you look, man, you know, you, you've you've had Bloom Nation uh for quite a while now and you know, you know, we were kinda talking we kinda alluded to this a little bit. So, you know, next you know, couple of years. Like, what's the what's the outlook for Bloom Nation? You know, you you know, you get on the other side of COVID and stuff like that. What's the direction? Like, what's the kind of the big things you're kind of excited about? Big projects you're excited about? Kind of moving forward as you uh, progress and scale the company even more.
1: Yeah, the, I mean, that's a great question because, you know, this, uh, this pandemic has really, you know, allowed us to kind of think about what is the, the future look like for right. um, for our company. And, um, you know, when we started, um, you know, Bloom Nation, it, it was very much about helping the floral industry, but we knew from, from day one that, you know, the problems that exist uh, for florists... Are very similar for all small businesses this is not unique to just flower shops and so for us it was about like really solving the 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 very dynamic issues of the florist while we learned about how we can solve things maybe for the greater good of small businesses in general and this pandemic has kind of opened our eyes to how important you know um you know these small businesses have been to not only the economy but just you know, to the uh, to the to, to people and how 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 much they care about shopping local and how much they care about you know their their corner bakery or their local flower shop or their the the local uh, coffee you know store. Right. This is uh th- these are you know staples in our communities and neighborhoods and they're all they're all going through a struggle right now. Uh, and so for us you know this pandemic has kind of opened our eyes and said well is there a way for us to help you know more people more more small businesses and so we we started you know allowing our software to be adapted into some other types of um, you know small businesses and testing out different markets and saying you know could we be more than just a flower software company can we be more just more than just a flower uh, uh, marketplace. And it looks like the answer is, is going to be yes, as we've seen, you know, the adoption of um, small businesses needing e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, you hear contactless delivery all the time. That's the new, you know, the new buzzword right. that you're hearing. Um, well, they need e-commerce, everyone from a restaurant to a coffee shop to a bakery, you name it. Um, you know, they, they, they now need technology more than ever. And at the same time, these consumers want to support small business. They want to be there for the small businesses. And so um, for us, the future looks uh, like it's going to be about helping more than just flower shops and expanding into other categories and helping them, you know, again, not only survive through all this, but really thrive and come out, uh, uh, you know, with, the hit the ground running as things kind of open back up and, and, uh, get into a really good place. So that's really where we're putting our attention and our focus. And I tell our team, uh, you know, uh, what we do can always change, you know, um, we started out with the marketplace, then we started building, you know, independent software, and now we're looking at, you know, helping other, you know, categories. So the, what can always change, but the, why has to always remain the same. The why is our north star. The why is, you know, the mission and what we're why we're doing what we're doing, and that is about helping small business. So uh, as long as we are helping uh, empower small business mm-hmm. uh, and uh, keeping, you know, uh, the the commerce local, uh, we will do everything we can to 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 build uh, technology to empower that.
0: I hear that. I hear that, and and I appreciate. You know, that and, and and you know, because look, a a lot of people have been, you know, when it comes to small businesses, they're just looking at like, I got to survive COVID. I got to survive COVID. I got to survive COVID. And so we've we've been trying to do with some of our guests is to kind of show that you have to think on the other side, because like the pandemic won't be here forever. You know what I mean? Because, you know, just like anything else, you know, the, the 2008 collapse didn't last forever. This pandemic won't last forever. Uh, and so I appreciate you sharing that because, like I said, we've been trying to get our audience to see how you know very successful entrepreneurs look at the other side of things, even if you're not technically on the other side of it uh, just yet. And you also said something else that I thought was interesting, uh, you know, because it seemed like we were always kind of heading in the direction of e-commerce and stuff like that, really blossoming and stuff like that. But I feel like now we've, we've kind of hit a. Uh hit warp speed due to the pandemic because of you know contactless this and delivery and stuff like that. So I appreciate all of that insight, brother. Absolutely. For sure. For sure. Once again, Started Mation. We're actually wrapping up with Farbo Sharaka, co-founder and CEO of Bloom Nation. And if you want to check out that website, Stardomation, we have that link there in the show notes uh, for easy access. Look, man, let me ask you this: man. Who are some of those entrepreneurs that are out there right now maybe not with us anymore or just leaders in general just people who you admire that you kind of look to when there's adversity and stuff like that like who are some of those lessons you look uh look to or look so so those people who can drop some lessons that you look to to kind of help you kind of navigate adverse situations
1: so interesting enough i uh i tend to steer away from people who have uh, been incredibly successful. Okay. I know that's kind of strange to hear, it makes but sense. usually when, think, usually when there's a, 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 someone that's, you know, created an incredible company or been very successful, they'll have their, they'll have their reasons why they feel like things went well and they'll give you, you know, these are the 10 things you need to do to, you know, have a successful business. Just like right. I'm saying today, but my advice is actually not to listen to people that have done really, really well. But f- try to find people who have failed gotcha. because failure is really gonna open up a lot more information to you than success and so for me when I look at you know um, different types of uh, you know uh, people that I can connect to or, or talk uh, to in the in the in the you know the tech uh, world for Mm -hmm. me i like to connect with people who maybe had to wind down their business and it didn't work out so well um that the failure is gold like the knowledge of the failure is to me it's pure gold and oftentimes somebody will you know be really successful and they'll, they'll not know exactly why they were successful but they know they did certain things so they'll just repeat those things as like the recipe for success but when you screw up or when you figure out like you didn't you know, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Like, it's so clear, uh, to somebody who didn't make it work out. So for me, it's more about, um, you know, talking to those folks that couldn't get it, uh, over the finish line or had a lot of problems, uh, you know, growing their business. And, and I often like to talk to entrepreneurs that don't say like, yeah, we're killing it and things are going great. And, you know, Mm -hmm. they, you know, to me, I don't find any value in that. I find, I, I enjoy talking to people that say, yeah, things are going all right, but I have this problem and I'm trying to figure out this and we tried this and it didn't work out and right. kind of going through the the grit of like solving real problems and, and just being honest and raw about like not everything is perfect. Um, but one one book that I, I recommend that kind okay. of plays into what I was just saying was, uh, you know, Ben Horowitz is the hard thing about hard things. Right. And I think that's a perfect example of like someone who walks you through like things don't go well what do you got to do you know how do you how do you get yourself out of uh out of the ditch and and uh thrive like survive and thrive out of really really bad situations versus you know some of these you know uh uh, you know books or or entrepreneurs will just talk about their successes and so that's really where i I drive a lot of my inspiration from from people that are a little more on the side of failure
0: gotcha oddly enough (laughs) <laughs> no, I, I appreciate that because there's definitely lessons in in the failures, right? So, you know, yeah. we can definitely learn a lot more from that uh for sure. And before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, man. You've gave, you know, tremendous insight, some great content that we can all definitely uh, put in our entrepreneurial toolkit. Once again, Startup Nation, that website is bloomnation.com. Make sure you check it out. Uh, you know, maybe send somebody some flowers, you know, you can definitely just send somebody and brighten their day a little bit. Go to BloomNation.com. We have that link there in the show notes for easy access. But, but man, you know, I know you gave a kind of a recommendation of a book, but now I'm going to ask you to kind of put your motivational hat on, man, kind of give us some words of encouragement to take us out for the day.
1: I think the the most important thing that I can kind of leave the viewers with is that you know they, with with starting a business, there's there's ups and downs. There's good days, there's bad days. There's days that I feel like I'm on top of the world, and then some days that I'm like, why? What am I doing with my life? <laughs> right. So you're gonna have to ride those out. But the only thing that's gonna keep you focused and you know able to go through those ups and downs. Is believing in something simple about your business. So, for for us, for Bloom Nation, when we were going through the ups and downs of the early days of starting the company, when everyone every investor was telling us no, and we were running out of money, and we were still running around flower shops taking pictures and nothing's nothing's happening, mm-hmm. um, I knew the thing that kept me going is I knew the simple fact was that in the industry something like Bloom Nation needed to exist. The idea of looking at a fake photo and ordering it in the broker model, all that was outdated. And I knew that something needed to change in the industry, whether that was us changing it or someone else was up for debate, because if I could make it work, it would be us. If I couldn't, maybe another company would come in later. But the fact that I believed in this, like, again, that North Star kept me going because every time I wanted to quit or every time we hit some really bad news, I stopped myself from ultimately, you know, quitting or, or, um, walking away from the business because I knew that it was still fun what we were trying to do is still fundamentally true. We were trying to solve a real problem that I truly genuinely wholeheartedly believed in. And, and that is the only thing that's going to keep you going when you're hitting the tough times. And, You know, tough times don't go away. It's still to this day, like I said, 10 years later, uh, we have different challenges, different problems, and and you still question everything in terms of like what you're impacting. But you have that North Star, and it keeps you going.
0: I heard that. I hear that. Awesome stuff. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Once again, we want to thank Farbo Shiraka uh, for coming on the show. Thank you so much, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. thank you for having me. No worries. And as always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, Startup nation and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, or even on your Facebook timeline or any other platform you like to get your podcast. If you are listening on Apple Podcasts and you find our content valuable, please give us a five-star rating as it will help us climb the charts and help more people find our show. You can also listen to the show on the Startup Life podcast's new website. There, you will find the all-new startup blog where I write on many topics that are interesting and helpful to you on your path to entrepreneurship. And hey, if you have an idea, be about that life, the startup life.